With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Cole Zwicker, he's back. We're going to talk about all rookie, all defense teams, and then we're going to talk about some NBA draft stuff. I was just the Combine and the G League Elite Camp uh, all last week in Chicago. Cole has been scouting so crazily that he hasn't even gotten a chance to watch just the outstanding Game 4 in Toronto and Milwaukee. Cole, how are you doing, man? How excited are we uh, about just basketball happening at all levels right now? (laughs) Definitely excited, a little bit overwhelmed, as you said. Kind of disappointed in myself for not being able to keep up with the series. I actually haven't even seen a full game of Portland-Golden State either, and I'm probably going to go back and watch those all in one day. So I'm way behind the combine. I watched the interviews, and then I watched the scrimmage tapes for both teams every time or both scrimmages. So that took, like, all weekend. And uh, just trying to play catch-up now, trying to finish this piece. So it's that time of year, man, where it's pandemonium. Yeah, it's great. I I love this time of year. It's just so much fun. It's so much fun to be a part of, to play even a small role in as much as I do. Uh, It's just a fascinating process uh, to even undertake right now because the information, it flows fast and furious and you have to really try and figure out what information is real, what information is not, you know, what to include in your writing, what to say in podcasts basically it's a really really fun time uh let's where do you want to start do you want to start with draft or do you want to start with all rookie and all defense teams because that'll be a shorter conversation because we'll probably go super long on draft yeah let's do the rookie and all defense teams first so the all rookie team is the first five picks it is uh deandre ayton luka Doncic, uh jaron jackson marvin bagley and trey young the all-rookie second team was Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Landry Shamet, Mitchell Robinson, uh, Colin Sexton, and Kevin Herter. What are your overall thoughts on just those two teams? I don't really have any stark objections. I mean, I think the first team, Jaron Jackson didn't play a ton of minutes, but I thought he was definitely one of the five best rookies when he played. And I would yep. take that kind of impact over an 82-game season of someone who of lesser quality. Uh, the three top picks for rookie for all t- first team were Luka Dodgers, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton. Those were no-brainers. You, after that, you could kind of finagle between Marvin Bagley. Maybe you put Shea Gildas-Alexander on the first team just because of his impact on a playoff team yeah. uh, in, in the regular season. So there's arguments you can make. But even like Colin Sexton played better down the stretch. He shot the ball better down the stretch. I, I think I would take Mikhail Bridges over the season over Colin Sexton just because of how he played consistently. But again, I don't have any stark objections. I think this was pretty well done. So I agree with you. Generally, uh, I believe that I think I might have put Shea on the first team over Marvin Bagley. Uh, yeah. I think that Shea's contributions to a playoff team 
at the point guard position particularly, which is a very difficult position for a rookie, especially one that's uh, just turned 20 years old and is very skinny and is still learning how to deal with physicality. I mean, on some level, that's lowering the bar in a way that we probably shouldn't, but it was very impressive to see what he was able to do. Um, Started 73 games, you know, played well over 2000 minutes, you know, was a plus efficiency guy, uh, good distributor, limited turnovers. It was a limited usage role, but uh, he was a great uh, addition to the Clippers. And I think that he's a, that's a big reason why the uh, Clippers are considered uh, even a small player in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes right now, because Shea looks like the kind of point guard who has potential to turn into an all-star guy. So uh, I feel the same way about Marvin Bagley though. I feel like he's going to be an all-star big man. I feel like this, it's just worth, I think, noting on some level, the top, five of this rookie class in 2018 is going to be looked at in my opinion as being historically relevant when we you know are 30 years down the road and looking at the NBA and you know how we got to that stage in the NBA in 2050 or whatever year it'll be yeah I totally agree and I think we still have to hear from some of these rookies like Miles Bridges Wendell Carter these guys are good players yeah. too maybe they're not to the same caliber as this first team on list that's debatable or whatnot but this class is really really strong it's strong at the top it's strong through the lottery like we saw last year it's not surprising to me it's just been really impressive like again Shea deserves a lot of credit for his role in the Clippers didn't really play like a, too much of a point guard role he was more of a wing but his ability to yeah. contribute to winning was just it was really impressive, even in the playoffs, but this is obviously a regular season award. So I, I think these guys got it right, frankly. I, I think I don't have any stark objections, and that's very rare because I do on the defensive team. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that I might say is I might have put Mikhail Bridges on the second team over Kevin yes. Herter. You know, it's six of one, half dozen of another, right? Like, you could make a case either way. Kevin Herter is a better offensive player. Bridges is a better defensive player. Uh Realistically, both were uh, very, very strong rookies. And in a normal rookie class, you know, they might have been like the sixth best guy, right? But here they're the 10th, 11th best guy. I, I probably wouldn't make a case for Alonzo Trier necessarily, but with how he started his season, I think that like he was a guy that finished 15th in voting. He probably would have been a player that made one of these teams in a normal class. He had a really good rookie year. And yeah, there are questions about how he goes long term in New York but like that's the level of depth that is in this class Miles Bridges played what something like 1700 minutes this year uh was a borderline starter sixth seventh man type played a very competent role for the Hornets he finished like 19th on the all-rookie list this year. It's just, it's a remarkable, remarkable group of rookies this season. It's funny to think about, like, where Miles Bridges go in the 2019 draft really high. So it's, like, that's the depth of this class. And yeah. we just see it. All, most of these guys contributed in some way. Like, I, I agree. I think McHale versus Herter is kind of interesting. I liked Herter's role in an actual surprising offense. Once Trey Young got going, I thought he really contributed he shot the ball really well probably the best shooter out of these guys um his rookie year i i think as far as like off motion and everything he kind of translated the best mikhail was kind of more inconsistent with his release speed but again you're kind of splitting hairs a little bit second team all rookie we never really debate this stuff like to your point we're usually trying to find yeah, guys we're just to being psychos like it's fine <laughs> Yeah, we're usually trying to find guys to actually fill this team, and people are like, ah, I don't really give a fuck. But this year, it's like we're trying to <laughs> get justifiably the right guys on the team. And I, I think you could make different arguments for like 11 or 12 guys, which is very rare. Yeah, no, no question. 
Uh, it's just insane. And like I said, like in a normal year, I think Miles Bridges is probably on the all-rookie team, and he was nowhere close this year. And I no. think that that just speaks volumes. So you want to complain about the all-defense team, which I think is pretty reasonable. <laughs> um, so the first team was Rudy Gobert. Uh, who, who else was on the team? I, I, can't, Paul, I don't have it in Paul George. Right now. Yeah, Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Marcus Smart, Eric Bledsoe. I don't have any like outrageously like very hardline stances on the first team. I think obviously Gobert I thought was deserving of this spot. Paul George was outstanding defensively. Giannis, those three were absolute shoe-ins. You get to the guard spots, you can maybe argue Drew Holiday. Marcus Smart was awesome, though. So was Eric Bledsoe. Just absolutely like very crucial to Milwaukee's scheme. So I kind of give a little bit of bump for that, too. I thought that Bledsoe, you know, he deserved one of these two first teams the way he played defense this year. So my issues aren't with the first team, really. So the second team, Drew Holiday and Clay Thompson at the guard positions, Draymond Green and Kawhi Leonard at the forward positions, and Joel Embiid at center. I'd imagine that this is where your concerns crop up because they're also where my concerns crop up. Yeah, I mean, Clay Thompson, I think his defense at times is actually underrated by the analytics community just because he's so good on the ball and that stuff tends to get denounced in favor of like defensive real plus minus and all of that stuff but I, I feel like this wasn't the year for him I would have had someone you know like Derek White I thought he was a better defensive player this year than Clay Thompson as far as consistency and this kind of just goes into how this war award is calculated I think that there's a lot of pedigree there's a lot of name notoriety on this list with Kawhi Leonard for example who is an outstanding perimeter t- defender we're talking about one of the best wing stoppers of the last 20 years when he's engaged I didn't think he was always engaged this year especially off the ball so this is comes down I guess some to how you view the award in totality if it's a regular season award and you're awarding it for performance and consistency which is the most important thing on defense I'm not sure if I agree with the the Thompson and the Kawhi Leonard selections especially those were the two that stood out to me Um, I had a lot of Raptors fans in my mentions kind of saying uh, oh you haven't watched Kawhi Leonard in the last like five years if you or you've (laughs) never watched Kawhi Leonard if you wouldn't have him on the first team all defense and I think that it's like a real question about how you go about crafting these teams. Realistically, like, are we doing it based off of what a guy is when he's at his utmost peak? Because I think Kawhi Leonard is the best perimeter defender in the NBA when he's at his peak. Would you agree with that? When he's at his peak, on the ball, yes. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, like, I I honestly don't really even think it's close. Like, I think it's like, no question, it's Kawhi. Um, You know, apologies to Paul George. Apologies to all of these other incredible wing stoppers. Apologies to these smaller guards. Like, Kawhi, to me, is unbelievable. But Kawhi didn't show that throughout the course of this season. Uh, if we're basing all defense on what a guy does at his peak, sure, like put Kawhi first team all defense. This regular season, though, he missed like 25 games. He hit that level, especially early in the season, his peak level, just much less often than what we've seen from Kawhi in the past. His team defense, I think, was... I don't want to say it was lacking necessarily. Like, it's not like he was a below average defender this year or anything. He was far from that. It's just that because I think he was kind of conserving energy and coming back from missing all of last season, it wasn't as alert as what it typically was, which is totally fine. You look at the way he's played in the playoffs. He's been the unquestioned most valuable player of this playoff run, in my opinion. So it's just kind of like this is... 
how do you go about voting for this award? Do you vote based on, hey, we know this guy's going to turn it up in the playoffs and become the absolute best defender in the world? Or do we vote based off of what he actually did on the floor in the regular season? To me, you do it based off of the latter. And to me, like I would have clearly voted P.J. Tucker over Kawhi Leonard this year. Uh, I probably would have voted Thaddeus Young over Kawhi Leonard this year. Uh, that's not to say Kawhi's a bad defender. He's an exceptional defender when he wants to be. It's just that there were very logical, intelligent reasons on his behalf that he made that ended up resulting in him being something less than what he can be at his peak. Yeah, really well said. I'm the same. You have to analyze it within the prism that it was intended to. It's a regular season award. We're awarding this for performance in the regular season, not peak performance. So if James Harden, who's obviously incredible, wins the MVP, I still think that Stephen Curry at his peak is the best player in the NBA. And that doesn't matter, though. That's not what the award is supposed to reflect. It's not the best player in the league. It's the most valuable during the regular season. Whatever, however you want to qualify that, we can, I don't want to get into you know how people qualify most valuable or whatnot. That's a long discussion. But same, same issue applies and same idea of that. It's focusing on what the performance was in the regular season, the consistency of that, how many games played. I think you can work in, obviously, injury concerns and how long were guys on the floor. You could say, you know, a guy that played 75 games is more valuable than a guy who's a better defender who played 45 as far as impact in that season consistently for his team. So you can make different arguments. I just think that when you get into all defense and you just work on pedigree, it's not rewarding what it's supposed to. And I, I think the NBA already suppresses defense too much, like Gobert not making, you know, the all-star team or whatnot. I, I just think that we need to reward more of the, the players that are making a difference in that season um, in their respective categories. And defense should be awarded at a higher level than just attributing it to someone who is, we know is great peak defensively, but didn't play it consistently that season. Okay, so here, here's the question then. Like, what would your all-defense teams have been? I think my first team, I would definitely have Gobert, George, and Akumbo. I think those are the three locks for me personally. Yep. Would, would, would you agree? Yes, and I would also have Marcus Smart. Okay, yeah, that's fine with me. I, I think I would go those four. Bledsoe or Drew Holiday are fine with me. Either one of those guys, I think they got it right. I would have him on either one of those teams. I just, again... Milwaukee was the best defense in the league this year, and Bledsoe's point of attack defense was incredibly integral to that, just like Giannis's weak side rim protection. So those six are definitely in. Embiid definitely in as far as his impact there. No qualms there. Draymond Green, you can say he wasn't as consistent in the regular season because he wasn't in shape. He wasn't playing the kind of basketball that he's playing right now. So I would get qualms against him, but I still think his team defense and everything, it's still exceeds a lot of these other players so those eight guys would be locks and we're just, I, I will say this about Draymond too I think that there were pretty big parts of the season where he held like Golden State's defense together because yeah. like let's just call it what it is like Golden State went through a large portion of this season kind of not giving a shit on defense like they finished 13th in defensive rating when in reality like this probably should be the best defensive team in the league just given what they're capable of at their peak between Dre, between Clay, between Iguodala, between Kevon Looney. Like, you know, we can go up and down the lineup. They have super high level defenders and to finish 13th is just kind of not like accurate, an accurate uh, assessment of where they are when they want to be. Yeah. And I agree. I, I would have, I have no qualms with Draymond. He's on my list. I think I would have Derek White as the second guard on the second team. I think that he was more consistent than Clay Thompson this year. And I'm going back and forth in that last forward spot. What do you think? So I, I think that there are five guards that I, let me start with the guards. Cause I think there are five guards that I would have considered maybe a sixth. 
Um, Marcus Smart, Eric Bledsoe, Drew Holiday, um, Patrick Beverly, Derek White. And then I think you can make a case for Danny Green as well. Okay. Uh, I thought Danny Green was really good this year. I honestly thought Danny Green was probably a little bit better than Kawhi this year defensively, um, just in terms of consistency, night in, night out effort. Um, I probably would have gone Marcus Smart, Patrick Beverly, Eric Bledsoe, and then I think Drew Holiday is my four. And just like a sorry, just missed out to Derek White. I feel bad about not including him, but Derek White, <laughs> he, he was great this year defensively. He really was. Um, at the forward spots, I would have had Paul George and Giannis as my first team guys, no doubt. Yep. I would have had Draymond Green and I would have had P.J. Tucker. Um, th- those would have been my four. Uh, on, I, I think that that kind of goes without me thinking too hard about it either. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I, I vacillate on this last forward spot. I, I think you can make arguments for a couple different guys I, that are stronger than Kawhi. One guy that sticks out to me, just from a regular season standpoint, is Robert Covington. I just think that he's so consistently yep. good defensively. And he's someone that we saw in the playoffs when he switched more. He's, does he have the athleticism to hang with these guys in, in space? But in the regular season, like if you just turn on a random Timberwolves game, he's just doing everything defensively off the ball. So I think someone like that exerts a lot more energy consistently defensively in the regular season than someone like Kawhi. And I thought that I would probably even lean him there. So I, guess so I, I can't I would do that. that just because Covington played 35 games this year. Like, yeah, that's fair. Like you, to me, you just can't have him. Like when he was on the floor, I thought he was making a case for himself as like potentially being in the running for defensive player of the year. But to me, you can't play 35 games and play, you know, under 1200 minutes or 1100 minutes or whatever he would have played and then still be in the running for this. Yeah, that's fair. I just think that his maybe his peak was better. But if you if you're looking at games played, I can see that argument. I'm looking down this list. I mean, here's the guy that I'll say this. I feel really bad for Miles Turner because I thought Miles Turner was probably one of the four or five best defenders in the entire NBA this year. Uh, I think that I would throw him in the mix with Rudy Gobert. Joel Embiid, Paul George, and Giannis. And then Miles Turner would be my fifth guy. I think those are the clear top five defenders in the NBA this season with Dre probably sixth and maybe in that group as well. Yeah, no no qualms here. And that's but, just the limitations of the positional outline yeah. here. I mean, if we, we could put Miles Turner on a team, he would definitely make one of these two teams positionally. If, if we could lax that down to he could make a forward spot or something, but obviously that's not the case. Yeah, like I, I would love that. Like I, I think that that would be fantastic. And I honestly would probably... Uh, go for that like if someone was asking me like should this be a rule that is enacted i would say yes like we should put that in um and i would also say i would add one more guy to this yeah i think i would add one more guy to this calculus he might actually be my favorite of this list kind of underrated i think paul Millsap, what he did on denver i think that he is so integral to their scheme as a help defender like he was awesome in the playoffs of course we saw that more notably but i think in the regular season he's always playing that role in that scheme where he's the weak side guy he's kind of the rover who can who really enacts that entire system because you know they want to you know bring Jokic on the floor kind of hard hedge force them to rotate or whatnot and I think Millsap does that at a really high level. So he would be in consideration for me. I got to kind of think about this last spot a little bit more, but I would take a couple guys over Kawhi. Yeah, I would too. Um, let's, uh, let's run through some of the funny votes. We got, uh, we got Russell Westbrook getting two first team votes and five second team votes. Russell was genuinely atrocious on defense this year. Like he was bad. 
Yeah, that's a really brutal. It, yeah, I, th- that just, that's one that just frustrates me. Like if you put <laughs> again, like Kawhi on the second team, like that's not like a fireable offense or whatnot. Like if you have Russell anywhere close to an all defense team, you're just not watching. Right. Um, James Harden got two first team votes. Ridiculous. <laughs> Steph got a first team vote. I think Steph's like an underrated defender, but he shouldn't be anywhere near this. Agree. Terrence Ferguson got a second team vote. Who is voting for this shit? <laughs> uh, Damian Lillard, who got much better defensively this year, like genuinely really yes. improved on defense this year. Shouldn't be anywhere near this. <laughs> just because you improve doesn't mean you make an all defense team. That's not how this works. Uh, and then man. just just the top, the top of it all, the absolute best one. Kyrie Irving got an all defense vote. Oh my god, <laughs> I love I, this. I, I, I have nothing for that one. That's. Uh... Goodness. I love I love how stupid all of this is. It's my favorite thing in the world. Um, I don't know. Do we have? I don't think we have anything else to say. Oh, Bam Adebayo got a vote as well. I thought that was kind of funny. Ed Davis got a couple. Uh, Ed Davis got one. I'm sorry. Uh, Joe Ingles got two. Joe Ingles is like sneaky good defensively. But like, it's funny to me that Thaddeus Young only got two votes, and like Thaddeus is a guy that I would have really considered uh, as like someone to vote for yeah 100 percent. he deserves to be in consideration even for a second team like his defense has been I, I think it got more publicity a year ago in the playoffs just when they played you know lebron and it was more you could see him switching and you could see how impactful he was as like a rotation guy how fast he was so i think he started to get more credit but he definitely deserves to be in consideration for that yeah i think so uh as well um i had a couple of toronto fans bring up pascal siakam too what do you think of pascal's defense I don't think I would put him in consideration for this. I, I don't think he's quite good enough as like a help guy instinctually. I, he uses length really well, but I don't think he meets like the the threshold of someone in that role like a Paul Millsap. I don't think he's as good as Paul Millsap as a defensive player. I don't think he's like a crazy switch guy as far as like a stopper type. I, I do like him though. I, he's definitely a positive defender. I just don't know if he's an all you know NBA caliber defender yet. He could get there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about draft stuff. We'll get into ads later on. We have a couple of ads we have to read, but let's uh, let's talk about draft stuff for a minute here first. You watched the combine games just from the comfort of your own home. For reference, whenever I'm at the combine, I don't watch the combine games. I'm like you know, bullshitting with executives that I know or trying to meet executives or I'm in the back, like trying to talk to players and stuff. So I just go back and watch these games like everyone else does uh, and try to, uh, you know, come up with the guys that I think played well, try to come up with takeaways, etc. Right. Uh, what did what were your takeaways of the combine games? I thought some players kind of helped themselves. I'm not sure how much as far as draft stock goes, but I thought some players definitely played well. For one, they stacked one team with all the like the high iq ball mover guys so that was like the cody martin team and those guys were really really effective and their play style really stood out i know some executives looked at who's playing the right way how they're involving their teammates i thought that team really moved the ball um jeffrey's on the team terrence mann i thought helped himself maybe not like to vault like 20 spots but i think he probably gets selected in the second round now and then that's what the combine games are for is to get these executives more access to these guys like last year kevin herter played in the first game went 19th maybe he goes in the first round still but i think that helped him a little bit i, I definitely think this context helps some of those lower tier guys even like a jalen noel for example i think he probably goes in the top 45 top 50 now and he you know passed the ball really well at the combine so i thought it was successful for a lot of these guys well ultimately the combine is a 
great big uh, job fair. And we all know that hiring isn't easy, isn't as easy as putting an ad in the paper or posting on a job board. With more qualified candidates than ever, you need something that helps you find the right people for your business. And LinkedIn Jobs does just that. Uh, LinkedIn Jobs is just absolutely fantastic. With more than 500 million active members, people come to LinkedIn every day to make connections, grow their careers, and discover new job opportunities. And 90% of LinkedIn users are open to new opportunities, but not actively scanning job boards. This means LinkedIn Jobs gives you access to an entirely different demographic than anyone else. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with people who fit your role the best. Things like collaboration, work ethic, and adaptive are all taken into consideration. So LinkedIn Jobs can help you find someone that's not only qualified, but also matches your company's culture. Uh, it just puts you in front of the most relevant qualified candidates so you can focus on making a hire that you're excited about. Post a job today, linkedin.com slash game theory and get $50 off of your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y. Terms and conditions apply. For it being just a great big job fair, I thought it was very interesting that I, I thought it was hard to judge the talent level in the five on five games. I didn't think we had as many potential first round picks playing in this uh five on five setting because so many guys ended up pulling out. Jordan Wara has a sprained calf. So he pulls out Nazareth and Louis King. They decide not to play. Um, you know, Fiondu Cabangeli decides not to play. Grant Williams was the only guy that I had with a first round grade going into the event that actually ended up playing in the combines five on five setting. And he didn't even play that well. So I found it interesting that, it was just difficult to assess how many of these guys actually helped themselves by like potentially jumping into the first round versus just like help themselves on the margins. Like I agree totally with Jalen Noel. Like I found his performance to actually be quite good uh, comparatively to what uh, I expected. I thought he was more explosive athletically than what we saw at Washington. Um, yep. You know, I, I thought that he was just capable of getting his shot in a way that I wasn't quite sure would translate at this level of play. Um, a guy that I haven't really liked in the past that I thought was pretty good was Isaiah Roby. Honestly, I, I thought that even though he's still really skinny at like 210 pounds, his ability to grab and go on the break, his ability to confidently, you know, at least step into threes and try and shoot them, uh, his explosiveness athletically, the length, all of that stuff at least made me a bit more interested in him than what we saw, what we've seen in the past. Uh, but the number one guy for me, uh, you know, we'll talk about Terrence Mann in a minute. We'll talk about, you know, maybe, maybe some other guys, but uh, the number one guy for me was Luka Samanich, uh in the first scrimmage game. He was just absolutely everything that you're looking for from a polished perspective. Uh, he's really helped his body. He's grown into his frame. He looks a lot physically stronger. Um, you can short roll him. You can pop him beyond the arc. You can roll him to the basket. He has great instincts in terms of where to be when rebounding. He's a lot more switchable defensively than what I thought he was. I thought he was the big winner of the five on five. He's the one guy that I think pushed himself into the first round. A lot of the other guys I mentioned maybe solidified some stock in the second. They won more on the margins, like you noted. I think Samanich, his performance probably vaulted him into the late 20s. And I think there's reason for that. He was really impressive. I mean, it's not just a switchability. It's I thought his 
like you mentioned, his instincts on the glass, he kind of like got positioned on bigger guys a couple times, and he was really clever kind of ducking in there. I was impressed with him there. I was really impressed with his handle. I did not know he could dribble like to that level. He had a couple nice combination moves, blew by guys. He got some Kuruks comparisons. That was prevalent during the combine coverage, and you could yeah. see it kind of with the with the burst, like Kuruks, his burst kind of was really impressive his rookie year, just like his ability to dip low and like his first step. I thought Samanich was kind of impressive there. This shot looked good mechanically. I, I was a fan of that. I the only thing I don't know about him is the passing. Like a couple times he would grab and go and he wouldn't really know what to do with it. He would just kinda like dribble up the floor and then kill his dribble and then awkwardly look around for someone. So I didn't see a lot of necessarily feel as, as a passer. But from a skill level and from an athleticism standpoint, with his quickness laterally and his ability to mix it up a little bit on the inside, he's a little bit tougher than I expected. Yeah, he seriously, I can't emphasize this enough. So like I stood next to him a year ago. It was probably what, 14 months ago, maybe at Basketball Without Borders. Talk to him real quick. And then I went to the combine here. He's legit put on probably 20 pounds, 25 pounds over the course of that time. It feels like he is much physically stronger than what I thought he was last year. Like I was legit concerned that he had no position uh, last season, whenever I saw him at Basketball Without Borders, I thought he was way too small to be a five, and I thought that he just didn't have the perimeter skills to be a four. He's still probably a little bit too small to be a five, just because he doesn't have the length. He's not going to be a rim protector. But I think that he might be able to take advantage of some guys due to his height at the four and post a little bit and you know keep the ball moving because he's a pretty high IQ player. I understand what you mean about the passing, but I think he's actually a pretty good passer and decision maker in the half court. Um, it's just a very... It's a very strange skill set. I think he's going to go in the first round. Like I, I would not be surprised if he goes like 20, 22, 24, something in that range. Um, I, I think he is... A very, very intriguing uh, potential role player at the next level. Yeah, and my exposure to him isn't expansive. I haven't gotten to the internationals to a large degree yet. I'm probably going to do that in the next week or so. So I'm, I'm dealing mostly with him. I, th- I think I've seen a game of his before, but it was a long time ago. So this is like kind of my first um, outlook on him for a long time. And I thought mm-hmm. I was... Compared to my prior, I was more, I was much more impressed than I thought I would be. So maybe that's factoring into this a little bit too much, and I'm just, you know, building him up because of my previous idea of him. But I was impressed. I, I think that there's something to work with. I'm definitely gonna go back and watch more of him over the next couple of weeks and see what there is to work with. But uh, he definitely helped himself. There's no question. I mean, when you you have to pay attention to what executives say and like what the narrative is after this practice or after these scrimmages. And after that scrimmage, after that first day, he was the clear guy for basically everybody. Everybody on the broadcast was mentioning him. Everybody was talking about it. So that is important for where these guys go in the draft. So I could absolutely see him going in the first round. So and then the next guy that really stood out to me, the number two guy, uh, clearly. So I thought these two guys stood out above everyone else was Nick Claxton. Um, Nick Claxton has long been a favorite of your website, the Stepian. Um, he's been a guy that I've always been interested in defensively, but wondered about the offensive skill set. I think that that stuff kind of bore itself out in a pretty substantial way during the combine itself. Um, he had 11 blocks in like 40 minutes of the combine. It was insane. <laughs> uh, he had like four or five steals in those 40 minutes. He was just as much of a monster defensively as we could have hoped for as a rim protector, as a guy that could go out and switch as a player who has really good hands. Like he, he's just a 
really, really strong high level defender that you can easily see playing real minutes uh, in the playoffs. Like it's to me, he reminded me a lot of like a more athletic Kavon Looney. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've heard Jared Jeffries before for him, which is kind of fascinating as well. There's several comparisons that are, that are workable. I agree. I think Claxton was really impressive. I mean, his first game, he pretty much eviscerated Moses Brown. Like this is, and I don't think Brown necessarily <laughs> should have been here, but it was bad. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, is that something? Is that good? No. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you gotta do it. You gotta play the people that are in front of you, man. No, so, no I question. Mean, Claxton, so Claxton, his shot blocking, his quickness off the floor, around the rim. Most impressive thing for me is how many jump shots this guy blocks. He reacts so quickly to pull-ups. He has that kind of Zach Collins like ability to yeah. quickly like put his arm up. He's very good at mirroring guys' pull-up games. So we knew he could switch and like kind of play in space. He's got agile feet. We saw him defend Kerwin Roach, one of the most impressive defensive possessions all season. And when he walled him off twice, uh, that's hard to do. Obviously, we saw Kern Roach's athletic testing, <laughs> and he's an incredible athlete. So, I mean, we knew that Klasky could do some of these things. I still have some qualms about his strength level. He got pushed around a couple times. So that's oh, to be yeah. expected. That's going to take time. He's a developmental guy, but I do think it's worth it just because he does some NBA conducive things, especially perimeter defense with the ability to protect the rim as well from the weak side, maybe not from a standstill as much because he's going to get exploded through right now offensively is kind of where the questions are. Like you noted the jump shot, just watching him shoot, especially on free throws. He just brings the ball so close to his face. Like it's almost like it, it's it's kind of awkward. And I think it, hurts his release so I, I would like to see him get it out a little bit more in front and a little bit more fluid if he shoots threes you can really see the allure with him that's the key is can he shoot we've seen him play like this de facto point guard role on georgia he's not going to play that in the nba he's not going to be like this dynamic like initiator he might be able to grab and go i think he has the coordination and the handle for that but it's not going to be like the same setting so i think what he has to work on is just honestly he has to be able to shoot if he can shoot then we have something potentially legitimate um if he can add requisite strength maybe even if he's like a third big in the playoffs that guy can play in space so if he can shoot i'm in so where do you have him on your board right now because i just updated my like i'm like in the process of updating mine i'll probably file it tomorrow and he uh he moved up on mine uh maybe more than he should have looking at it but (laughs) i have him in I haven't done a final board, but I probably would have him in the 20s. I think that he is one of my favorite prospects in that range because I do think the development is probably worth the time if he pans out. So I would have him somewhere in the 20s, likely. Maybe higher, depending on who exactly comes out in the order I I come down on. But he won't go lottery. I don't think he's that high for me. He's probably going to be in like the conservative range of like 15 to 30. No, yeah, I've got him at 21 right now. Okay. Uh, So like... We're on the same page here, for sure. I've got him right in between uh, two Kentucky guys, actually. I've got him right in between Tyler Hero and Keldon Johnson. And I've got him ahead of Keldon Johnson and um, right behind Tyler Hero for reference on this. So, yeah, no, I think we're on the same page on Claxton. Uh, It's not a certainty that he's going to leave by the way. Uh, I think that that is also worth noting. So he's still testing the waters. His thing is that he has grown up around Georgia. Like he grew up going to football games. His dad uh, is a former draft pick of the Phoenix Suns. You know, he played at Georgia for four years. And like, it was funny. I was talking to Tom Crean before Claxton played 
And Crean said to me, like, he was still like hosting recruits on visits, even after he declared for the draft, just because he is a guy that is Georgia through and through. Like he wants to be uh, the person that tries to convince people to come to Georgia because he feels like he's going to do the best job of convincing people to come to Georgia. He absolutely loves the university. He seriously likes playing for Tom Crean, which like, I mean, I, I even joked about this with Tom. I was like, man, like he's one of the few guys who I've ever heard are like excited uh, to go to practice with Tom Crean because Crean just like pushes you like insane uh, to insane levels. And I I don't mean that negatively toward Tom. I mean, it is a positive, but like, he's just uh, a coach that'll really push you and he'll get on you and he'll make you try and he'll try and get the most out of you. So uh, it's just uh, it's a very fluid process right now with Claxton. He wants to be a first round pick. If he's going to be a first round pick, I think he's going to end up declaring. I can't guarantee that he'll be a first round pick right now. That's kind of what I wrote in my big combine preview that just went live on Wednesday. But I think that I would be able to say with confidence, I think he'll be a first round pick just because uh, guys with his kind of tools don't come around often. Yeah, and he tested pretty damn well too. Like his standing yeah. vertical it was was really good. So I I think that if he gets enough positive feedback, he comes out. I, I honestly don't know because again, Georgia gets Anthony Edwards next year. They got Rayshon Hammonds coming back under Crean. They could be a lot better, and he's not going to play the same role as he did last season, <laughs> as far as like being this kind of de facto point guard at times. Like I think he'll be able to showcase more, work on his shot if it comes to that. So it's it's a really interesting and really fascinating decision. But usually, I would say. If you are going to be a first-round pick, come out. And I do think a team will kind of fall in love with his, I wouldn't say high, like highest ceiling, but I do think he has developmental upside to be, in time, like a quality starter. And he does have traits that are valuable in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, totally agree with that. The other guy, and this guy didn't really do a lot at the Combine necessarily, but Fiondu Cabangele is a player that I was surprised to get the feedback that I did on him. Uh, just like talking with executives and stuff like that. Um, most execs like think of him as like a top 25 guy uh, right now. He measured in at like 6'10 in shoes, 7'3 wingspan, almost a 9'2 standing reach. So very real size for a center in today's NBA. Uh, can shoot the ball, really gives effort defensively. Uh, where where are you at on Cobb and Gele? Because I had him more around like 40 going into this, but... Afterward, I felt like I really just had to move him up because uh, executives just aren't they aren't that low on him. You know what I mean? Like they, they really believe in him. Yeah, which is not that surprising with the pedigree he has, the bloodlines and the, the ties to, you know, being a pro, essentially. And, and the executives are going to value that and they're going to value the shooting at the spot. and They're going to value the physical tools, the strength level. I just don't know about his feel. I mean, like his he doesn't pass. Yeah. Like, he can pop at all. Pop. Yeah, he doesn't pass at all. So I think when you profile him into the league, that has to be uh, a major concern. Like, what what's his role going to be on offense? Is it pick and pop big? Is he just going to space from from three and not really be able to play make much? Uh, his defense, I mean, definitely quick off the floor, can block shots. Uh, we we see that against even better competition like Gonzaga, for example. So I, I think there is some positives with him on that end I, I just he's never really passed the field test enough for me and i don't bet on those guys typically high if you're a center but i mean he can shoot the ball so at a certain point when i do my final rankings that's going to factor in it's going to be like i'm going to reach a, a point where it's just about physical tools and the ability to shoot and like he's going to be at the top of that list so i mean what is uh i mean like where were you where around where will you have him i guess on your board i would say 
maybe late first, early second, like around that range. I don't think I'm going to go top 20. I think I'm going to find 20 to 25 guys who I like more, but yeah. don't hold me to that. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's fair. That's right. Like I said, like that's right where I am. I moved him like right around 25 or so. So, yeah, I think we're on the same page on him. Uh, his teammate, Terrence Mann, is someone that I just want to bring up because just an awesome kid, first and foremost, like just a great human being. Uh, just a great like teammate, a great person. He's super community oriented, um, both uh, in the Northeast where he's from and in uh, Tallahassee when he played for Florida State, just like an elite level dude. And whenever I watch him play, I continue to just be struck by him. Like I've had him in the top 100, like top 75, really, of my board since February, I think. And I just keep moving him up because I'm like, this dude is smart. He knows how to play basketball. Every time I watch him, he just makes an impact on the game because it's just unbelievable. He's just such a fun player. He really knows how to play. I mean, that's the thing that stands out about him is like his drive and kick vision. He makes the simple read. He makes the extra pass basically every time. I thought that really shined on that team at the combine scrimmages specifically because the rest of the team was doing that. Like Weatherspoon, those guys it was the team that knew how to play it. And like, I think man really stood out there. And then in conjunction with his athletic testing, I don't put maybe as much stock into, you know, the athletic testing as maybe executives do in, in certain aspects, but his standing vertical leap was awesome for him. I, I thought like 30, 32, that was incredible. Like that's, he tested pretty damn well. I think he tested well enough in conjunction with the feel that he has, the dribble pass ability. The shooting is really what it is. It's, it's all about the volatility of the shot, which you can't really feel great about. Can he make an open corner three? Maybe. But mechanically, I'm not like super into the shot, but I think he did enough to where I would be surprised if he didn't get drafted in the second round. I think being a wing, being a guy who can play make and has feel, I think he kind of deserves to go in the second round now. So I would agree with you. Uh, I would take Terrence Mann in the second round. He's going to be like right around 50 for me on my board. Um, might end up higher than that, honestly. Like I, I am a big fan of Terrence Mann. Uh, every time I watch that dude play. The one thing, the one thing that really frustrates me about him is he can be an occasional like record scratch guy on the perimeter where he will catch a corner, like catch and shoot three ball, pause for a second, not shoot it, dribble, pick up his dribble quickly and then like stand still real quick for a second. He's smart enough to move the ball on and like, it doesn't kill the flow of the offense, but in the NBA with a 24 second shot clock, you've really just got a pool from three. Whenever you get an open catch and shoot shot, he's not a super high level shooter yet is the problem. If that jump shot comes along, I think he is like an eight year NBA player. Like I think he's in the NBA for a while. I totally agree. And I think it's it's hard to really bet on the shot heavily. I mean, he has improved, again, like free throw percentage over the course of his career. This was his best shooting season at 39%, but he didn't take a ton of threes, only 77 on the year. So it's just it's, hesitancy. It's it really is. He, he doesn't have that confidence. He doesn't have that, like he catches and he goes right up. And that's a lot of the NBA. It's like getting up volume threes with confidence. That's who teams respect in the playoffs. It's the guys that take those and are willing to take them. If you're hesitant, they're not going to close out hard to you. So that's kind of where we are with him. And that's why he's in this range. Like if he was a clear shooter, like I think he's even a first round pick. Like frankly, like he, he just has a lot of playmaking ability. Not the most explosive athlete in traffic. But I, again, I think that he's a, a little bit better athlete than he gets credit for. And I think now he's going to get some more credit after the combine. And again, just like a super, super high level dude. Uh, if you remember in 2017, Davon Reed 
ends up going 32 and it was kind of a surprise like you know most people thought of him as like a late second round like you know back half of the second round undrafted guy who will probably get a two-way contract or something like that because that was that was the first year of two-way contracts 2017-2018 and he just ends up it ends up like he's so good in interviews and has such an interesting fit in the modern NBA that he goes 32 and goes much higher than anyone anticipates. I think there's a real chance that that happens with Terrence Mann. I really do. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. And if he's the kind of character like you say he is, and obviously you have much more intel, then I think that's going to be even more alluring to the NBA, obviously, because try to get guys with you know solid work ethic that are great kids in your locker room. That's going to benefit him. I Again, I would be shocked if he doesn't go. I, would, okay, I shouldn't say shocked. I would be surprised if he doesn't go in the top 60. And, and if he doesn't, then this is like a priority two-way guy. So uh, the funny thing is that, so he played in the G League Elite Camp, right? And they announced the guys that are going to be at the NBA Combine. At first, like it you know, on Monday of that week, I was told, you know, maybe two, maybe three, at the most five guys are going to play and are going to move up from the G League Elite Camp to the NBA Combine. And... So many guys pulled out of the five on five sessions that they had to like pull 10 guys from the G League elite camp to play in the NBA combine. And they pulled their 10 guys and Terrence Mann wasn't one of the original 10 guys on that list. John Gavoni at Draft Express, you know, he, you know, talked to a couple of executives and found that executives were sandbagging their votes basically because they didn't want other teams to get looks like they feel confident about, uh, what guys they have, right? Like they feel confident in their scouting. And if they've seen a guy early on, they know what's going on. Uh, They don't need the other teams to get clued into them. So man was not on that original 10, but he ends up getting the last 11th invite whenever another guy pulled (laughs) out of the five on five. And he was literally on his way to the airport. And if you go to the athletic, you'll be able to read like the full story of how he ended up having to like rush from the airport, uh, back to the combine because they told him, Hey, like, you know, you're actually in the combine, like stay here, stay in Chicago. Uh, the best thing that he possibly could have done though, was to have away travel because the approach to away travel is simple. They create simple objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way that you travel today. Uh, they asked thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them most about their luggage and designed a bag that solved a few old problems like sticky wheels and then a few new ones too like dead cell phones, which would have particularly helped Terrence Mann in this case. Uh, Away uses high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. You can choose from nine colors and four sizes. The carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large. Uh, Each bag has just absolutely critical design features. They're all made with German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. The interior features a patent-pending compression system, uh, which is helpful, helpful for someone that is a chronic overpacker like myself. Like I used half the clothes in Chicago that I actually packed for a week. Um, It's a TSA approved combination lock built into the top of the bag to prevent prevent theft. And it has a removable laundry bag that keeps dirty clothes separate from clean clothes. Uh, And look, both sizes of the carry-on are able to charge all cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything else that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. 
look, this thing has a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they're going to fix it or replace it for you for life. There's a 100 day trial. You live with it, vibe with it, travel with it, Instagram it. If any, if at any point you decide it's not for you, you can return it and get a full refund. Seriously, away travel is the best. These bags are awesome. I used mine to go to Chicago, as I said on the last podcast. I am just a huge, huge fan of away travel. Um, look, if you go to awaytravel.com slash game theory and use that promo code game theory during checkout, you're going to get $20 off of your first suitcase. Uh, again, that is awaytravel.com slash game theory. Uh, you're going to be able to just get that $20 off of your first away travel suitcase. And you're going to be able to live a much more stress-free life than you did before you had away travel because your cell phone's going to be charged. Everything is just going to be much happier for you. So go to awaytravel.com slash game theory. Uh, some of the other guys, who, who else do you want to talk about from the combine? Uh, from the scrimmages, got to mention Cody Martin, man. I, I was so impressed with him and someone who I was kind of lukewarm on, frankly, before the combine. I thought he was noticeably the smartest player on the floor whenever he played. He had one really brutal air ball catch and shoot three that's going to probably resonate with GMs a ton. But I loved his defense. I thought he looked more athletic, kind of like Jalen Noel in a way. I thought he was just more athletic than I thought it would be um, in reflection to his counterparts. Like I, I did think like the one-foot pop in space showed some vertical pop. His defense, again, his lateral agility, his ability to absorb blows in space i thought his strength level was more than i expected as well so his ability to make the simple reads the passes but also the the creativity and the patience and pick and roll we saw some left hand passes um pocket passes and stuff like that so i I was just really impressed with his overall play he did basically everything but shoot the catch and shoot three he even had some really nice pull-ups too so i was i was kind of blown away with him just from a prior standpoint i'm not saying he's like an elite level talent or anything i just think that he for me he helped himself I, i thought he looked really good I'm sorry, who, who did you say there? Uh, Cody Martin. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, Cody Martin was really, really good at the combine. Like He was a guy that I didn't have in my top 100. He'll definitely be in my next top 100 now. Uh, just the high-level IQ, his feel for the game. Like To me, he's always been the more interesting of the Martin twins because of his yes. feel for the game and because of the fact that he affects the game in a variety of ways. He's a good defender. He's a smart passer. I think that he has a real chance to be an interesting two-way guy for a team next year that actually plays minutes as a two-way guy in the NBA. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's probably where he goes. I would take him easily in the second round if he was available. I'm, I, I love the idea of him. Again, this is all comes down to the catch-and-shoot three, but I love the idea of him bringing these kind of point guard-esque skills to the wing and being able to dribble pass and shoot from there. He's not going to initiate an offense. He's, no team's going to let him do that consistently. But I like the fact that he can actually make a play when the defense is bent. I really do trust him to make a play on the move. Again, I think its athleticism was better than I expected it to be. So I think that he can get to the rim, you know, make a drop-off pass, make a skip pass. It just comes down to the shooting. It's kind of like it's a little bit different than Terrence Mann. I, I do think Cody Martin is a, a little bit better of a passer, and his field level is just in- incredible. That's no knock on Mann. But I think that you see with a lot of these guys, the big issue and the big hang-up is going to be shooting. There's no real shot diversity off, off movement. It's more like a stationary catch-and-shoot with some pull-up ability. But you got to make a catch-and-shoot three. And that, that's going to be the question with Martin. Yeah, no question. Uh, the next guy that I will bring up, let's talk about Jalen LeCue because okay. he got a lot of publicity coming out of the combine and is in an interesting position now, in my opinion. So his game, he threw some kind of very interesting passes in the half court. Yep. He came in with a much more uh, 
facilitation based mindset, which is something that I haven't really seen from him in the past. Like I've seen him pretty decent amount live and on tape. Like he tends to be more of a scorer who doesn't shoot it super well. This combine was a very different experience for him. He came in, he dished out some interesting passes. He looked super athletic in the full court. He got by guys when he needed to. I was not overall, though, as impressed as some of the internet seemed to be. I thought that other than those flashes, he looked incredibly sped up. He turned it over five times. Uh, He only scored once in the half court. Like he had four points and five turnovers in 16 minutes. And people are like freaking out. And one of those was like a full court dunk that he just got a chance to grab. Like it was, was the excitement about Jalen LeCue like a little bit weird to you? Um, I kind of understood it just watching him athletically. And then when you start to factor in the passing, like you noted, that surprised some people. I think that might have pushed his stock up a little bit more because when you have these athletes that have this prior of, okay, they're just a run and jump athlete. But you start to see the skill, not, not really high level skill, but just a little bit of feel. Then I think you get that kind of reaction because you're just surprised. I, I did think that he did some good things. I mean, his recovery effort was pretty legit. I thought his dribble moves at times, not the tightest handle, but he had a couple interesting moves there some interesting drop-offs like you noted with the passing some playmaking d instincts the the athleticism just clearly pops it's just for me i looked at his game and said in the half court i didn't see the purposefulness i didn't see i mean he has no shooting gravity so guys give him a huge cushion and he can't really take advantage of that so maybe i'm holding that too much against him he turned the ball over like he noted i just didn't see enough purpose and functionality in the half court because again he just doesn't have any shooting gravity and that's that's a big problem. Okay, here here's a question. So I thought he got a lot more publicity than Darius Baisley did. I thought Baisley was much better in his two games than LeCue was in his one. What do you think of that? I would agree. I think Baisley popped for me much more in the second game. I think yes, in the first game he had that really nice agree. rip through. That he had that one reverse play. I mean, Baisley's athleticism is just it pops. It, it, like it pops like functionally getting to the rim. Yeah, I was going to say it's strides. fluid. Yeah. Yes. So, like, I, I was really impressed, actually, with Baisley's second game. The shot is still, like, I, I don't really buy as far as, like, the exaggerated two motion. I don't know how well that extends to three, but he did make some pull-ups. I thought he made a really concerted effort to pass the ball. I thought he had a couple nice drop-offs. I was really impressed with him in the second game. I thought, like, the, the talent, you kind of understood why guys were high on him based on just the not just the physical talent, but just a little bit of skill too. I, I thought that he, he definitely had a really good second game. I thought, yeah, I, I thought that Baisley's second game was the most impressive. He looked a lot more poised. Uh, like he, he didn't yeah. look rushed despite the fact that he's as young as he is uh, still just 18 years old. Like this is an environment where if you haven't played against this type of athleticism and size and length, it's easy for you to get rushed. We see it all the time with guys and that didn't happen with him at all. Like he looked under control for the most part throughout this entire game. Uh, it was it was pretty impressive to me, I thought. Like, he was someone that I wasn't sure was draftable before, but, like, I'll have him around 50 or so, maybe, like, 48 or so on my final board. Yeah, and that's reasonable. And just to offer a point of reference, like, his athletic, te- athletic testing was le- legitimately good. It wasn't like compare him to Jordan Bone, who I thought, you know, he tested like historically well, but I didn't yeah. think he played that well in the five on fives. I didn't think it translated as well as someone like Baisley. I thought that there were some elements you looked at with Baisley's athleticism and said, OK, I can see how this would work functionally in the NBA. 
Right, a hundred percent. It's going to take time. Like to me, if I'm a if I am a team, I want to draft him on a two way contract. Uh, yes, because he's two years away, I think. But he's young enough to where if you get him on that two way contract, it could be like a valuable two years away situation where like you know you get him on the two way, plays well for one year, and then you can get him on like maybe a you know four year thirty five million dollar contract or something like that. You know. Yeah, you could actually see the developmental upside with him, and that's not something I expected to say. I saw him at Hoop Summit when he played there, and he definitely looked, you know, four years away as far as his feel. He did not, I mean, he took a lot of rush shots. He just didn't seem to feel the game that well, and I thought it kind of slowed down for him a little bit at the Combine, so maybe there's been progression there. I can't claim to say I've seen a ton of this guy over the last year and a half or so, so it was, I, I thought this was definitely a positive performance. He helped his stock, especially in that second game. Yep. Uh Let's see. Where do, where do we want to go next? Where do we want to go next? Um, you want to talk about Grant Williams? It was a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, let's talk about him. So Grant, Grant did a lot of things well at the Combine. He played good team defense. He was in the right position consistently. He, was, uh, he made smart passes, I thought, consistently. The problem is that just didn't shoot well. Was not efficient in any way and that is the exact thing that nba teams are concerned about how does he shoot the ball how does he get scoring opportunities efficiently after being like a post up get fouled uh you know mid post try and take two steps get fouled or finish at the basket guy who was pretty reticent to take threes throughout the course of his career and that's kind of why I wasn't as down on his performance because I thought he was more confident taking threes at the combine. Like he did take some NBA threes in rhythm. He just didn't make them. He, I think he had like three shots that were in and out. I'm a huge believer in his touch, so I think that's going to get there. My takeaway was like in the way he was utilized at the combine, he was used as basically like a pick and pop guy a lot of the time. And he sets awesome screens. I like him in that role. We've yep. talked about this in the past, utilizing him as more of a short role guy. I just don't know how many teams are really going to utilize him that way. You know what I mean? Like, if he's just spotting up off the ball, I think you lose some of his offensive value. I, I love the decision-making, like you said. He-, he looks like the adult on the court at the combine. Like, he just every looks time. like he's making this every single time. Like, he made the decision-making, the passing vision, the execution, those things were there. It just comes down to what his role is offensively in the NBA. I thought his defense, I thought he overhelped a little bit too much. It was kind of like, okay, we, we get it, dude. You, you're drifting off every time to protect the <laughs> rim. Uh, I, I didn't think that he was excellent on that end, but he was definitely good. Like, he, he knows what he's doing. We, we, we knew that wasn't the question. I One thing I will say, he got blown by really bad by Iggy Brasdegas one time, and it was kind of like a forward momentum closeout, and he couldn't flip his hips and wall off. And I think that's another point of his that I don't have a great read on. Like, I've watched a ton of his tape defensively, and honestly, at times, he looks really good in space. And then sometimes he just gets absolutely roasted. And I think a lot of the time, it's when he has to change directions quickly, north-south, that he gets blown by. And I'm a little worried about his space defense. I don't think he's necessarily going to get picked on. We've had this conversation before, but I'm not really sold on his defensive value being like high level and that, and that's kind of an issue yeah like the comparison here the point of comparison is like pj tucker right like conference player of the year not a super translatable game based off the way he played in college but how do you go about picking the tools out of his game that can be translatable to the next level whenever you change them to a different style or system right in Grant's case, the passing, the feel for the game on the offensive end, I think is incredibly high. He knows where to be defensively, like you said. He's always going to be there and help defense, maybe too often at times. But it is like a very isolation-heavy game 
now at the next level. It's a very heavy pick and roll game at the next level where if you get put on an island, you got to be able to flip your hips. You got to be able to cut off someone with lateral quickness. He's got to show that. He's really got to show it. I mean, like, did this change your view on him tangibly? Not really. No, I mean, the space defense has been kind of inconsistent all year. I mean, he does show promising stints there and that's what's so interesting about him is because sometimes he does look like he can move with some of these guys like like Saban Lee for example he walled off a couple times he also got beat a couple times against the Kentucky guards against Keldon Johnson I thought he held up very well those guys aren't like elite level athletes but that's still promising to say so not really I I think he has to go to a specific context like if you put him on the Blazers and he's the short roll guy for Dame Lillard or something that becomes super interesting to me but I think you have to be able to extract a situational value out of him I I don't know if he's going to be utilized that way by a lot of teams that's what I'm most concerned about is like how do you optimize this player because he does have stark strengths but if you don't take advantage of them I don't know how valuable he is I don't think he's PJ Tucker as far as his physicality his movement skills I think PJ Tucker changes directions a little bit better than him too so it's a it's a tougher fit I think that the NBA is going to kind of struggle to place him in a role that he's really going to succeed in so I'm hoping he does I'm hoping again he goes to one of these teams who has this dynamic lead guard and also has a floor spacing five where he can just play that short roll game. If he can do that, I think he can be valuable. Yeah, the big question for me about like where he ends up, there are just a lot of very situational prospects in this draft, and yes. all too often teams don't really look at situations when drafting, which is a strange but accurate assessment, unfortunately. Um, I'll just be very interested to see where he goes. Like, If I was a team like Portland, if I was a team like Boston, like I think Boston would utilize him really, really well with Brad Stevens. Uh, I think that, uh, like you said, with Portland, Portland would be able to uh, utilize the short role as like a uh, get out of the trap card for Damian Lillard, right? Yep. Um, Brooklyn, I think, would be an interesting spot as well because I just trust Brooklyn to like figure it out. San Antonio has multiple first-round picks. San Antonio has what? the best shot doctor in the entire NBA in Chip England, right? So if you can get him with Chip England and have him start knocking down threes to a high level, like there's no question that he translates to the NBA, right? Yes, and I think that's the key. And hopefully he wouldn't end up in like a a too big system in San Antonio and like operating from the elbows, even though he's very good at that. I don't know if you're getting optimal value as like his shot making there and his decision making from that side of the floor in isolation. I think you have to get a little bit more creative. But yeah, I, I don't think I he didn't hurt his stock to me as much as maybe some other people. But I do get your point that on the floor, he wasn't dominant. And when you when you are the guy that a lot of people consider the first round guy of that group and you don't play to that level and you don't really imprint yourself on the game to a dynamic fashion, especially as a scorer and just being like, honestly, just popping to the sense that you're like, that guy's clearly the guy then you could have a little bit of reservation. But I just don't also just don't think that's in his nature. Like he's very like you could see him. He's like a coach on the floor. He was instructing everybody, giving everybody, you know, what I mean, like that's how he plays. He's wired to be unselfish. I think he has to be a little bit more selfish sometimes, but that that's just who he is. He's a guy who's going to move the ball. He's going to play smart basketball. And it's going to take a team that really understands those strengths to invest in him highly and put him in a position to, to succeed. So let's talk about the guys who actually hurt. I, their stock at the combine. I think there are a few. Um, where do you want to start on that? I thought for me, Jalen McDaniels is someone who I thought hurt his stock. I did not okay. like his. Yeah, I thought his second game was better. I thought I got yeah. a little overrated. His first game was pretty bad. I'm just talking about guys who were considered kind of maybe. I don't know if Jalen McDaniels was a fringe first for people, but in that right. 
general range. I, I don't know. I just don't know how well his game really translates functionally to the floor. His narrow. I mean, he's a narrow build. Is he going to play the four? I don't think he's big enough. I don't think he's physical enough. Is he going to shoot the ball from three? I don't really have a ton of confidence in catch and shoot ability from three. I think he's best in the mid range. He doesn't have great feel when he starts trying to play make off the dribble like we saw in the first game. I, I don't I don't know what he brings to a team right now. I, I get the theoretical ability to switch and then I guess make a shot and play extremely hard, get on the offensive glass. I'm just not sure how valuable that is. So Isaiah Roby or Jalen McDaniels? I would take Roby. Why? I trust Roby's like grab and go ability. I think he's a better athlete also. Um, I'm not huge on Roby either. I think there's similar concerns about his physicality playing the four. I don't think Roby's very physical. Uh, but I, I would just take his I like his shot mechanics more from three as well. Um, and he's shown some passing ability in the past. I'm, I'm not saying he's high level or anything like that, but I think I would take Roby over him just based on athleticism. You know, I think he's a bouncier athlete he's a, win, a weak side rim protector, more grab and go ability. I just think there's a little bit more in the toolbox there. So I agree with you for what it's worth on that. As someone okay. who's also not like a huge Roby fan. Um, yeah, definitely agree with you on that. McDaniels is someone who's like feel for the game just concerns me a little bit. Like I just don't necessarily know what he does that fits at the next level right now. Like he's an active offensive rebounder in an era where teams are rebounding less. He's like a mid range, mid post killer Yep. in an era where teams don't really need that right? Like it's valuable as like a primary scoring option at college, but given the narrow frame, given the uh, just kind of concerns about the offensive fit, like I, I don't really know what to do with him right now. Like I, he's someone that like I've had on the borderline of the first round the whole year and I've dropped him to like the mid second round. Yeah. And another guy, I should have started with him. I was looking at one of my tweets about one of the scrimmages. The guy for me was clearly Charles Bassey. <laughs> I wasn't high on him before, but he was absolutely, I thought he was really bad. Like his space defense, he was upright. He wasn't recovering. I didn't think the offense really translated. I think he played against Samanich in that matchup. And I, he, I think he ran through Samanich once at the end of the game. I didn't really like what I saw from his shooting as far as that goes. And he just looks like one of those traditional bigs that you don't want to invest capital in. There was a lot of people that were higher on him because of his age. I, I thought he had a, a really bad combine. I didn't see, I don't see any reason to draft this guy. So yeah, I'm through like 75 guys or so uh, on my board right now, like somewhere in that range. He's nowhere near uh, getting onto this thing right now. Yeah. Um, like I, I will have, he might be like a bottom top 100 guy for me right now, like bottom end of it. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't know what he does at this level. He seems like the prototypical uh, big man who just doesn't fit at the NBA level right now. And, you know, it's unfortunate. It's a shame just because I think he's, uh, you know, been told throughout the course of his life that he is this incredible prospect, right? It's just not, it's not accurate. It's not an accurate depiction of where his game is. Uh, in my opinion, like it's just not, it's not real. And it never has been like he won MVP of basketball without borders. That was insane to me. There were so many better players there. He won MVP of Pangos camp one year when we're going to look back at some of the kids that were at those, at that Pangos camp, like Anthony Edwards and Kate <laughs> Cunningham and like all these dudes. And we're just going to laugh at it. Like it was comical to have him be MVP of that camp. Um, he wasn't one of the seven best players in attendance, in my opinion. So it's just, it's hard for me to look at what he does and say that any of this translates. I don't think any of it translates at all. 
to the NBA level. And that's a shame. Like, I feel bad, but it's just not, it's just accurate in terms of where he is right now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I obviously want him to succeed. I'm not anti him or anything like that. I just look at it from a functional standpoint and he, like, he's a drop big, his agility tests corroborate what we see on tape. And that's the most important thing to me. His lane agility time was really bad. It was like yeah. really bad for a five. I, he can't play in space and he, I don't see the developmental upside with him. Like, what are you hoping that he does? Are you hoping he shoots to three competently? Like I would, if we're talking about developmental bigs, that's already a high threshold to clear. If you're going to actually spend draft capital on someone like that like at least nick claxton like he can dribble and he can really guard in space like that to me is more bankable than than betting on charles bassey who i don't really see like a place in the league for him right now i maybe he gets a, a cup of coffee he might play summer league if he comes out i i just don't see him sticking I, he, it's just not that kind of game anymore yeah no i agree with you wholeheartedly um another guy like him but more athletic is uh nemius Keda out of utah state uh, Kata struggled at the combine, unfortunately, was not quite uh, what we were hoping to see from Kata. Uh, he is someone that like has drawn comparisons to Clint Capella, to Rudy Gobert, you know, these defense first guys who can move their feet. He's just not as athletic as those guys, in my opinion, right now. Um, he got kind of owned pretty hard by Taco Fall in yep. the first scrimmage game. Like it was it was kind of tough to watch. I've never been as high on him as some other people. I just don't see the toughness and the physicality. Like he'll, he plays soft sometimes and I just don't see anything special about him. Like he has incredible measurables. Like you look at him on, on the page and it looks great and you watch him in the games and it's like, he's not, like you said, he's just not explosive enough. He's not athletic enough. Like what are you hoping this guy does offensively too? Like he, he's an underrated passer. I think he did show some proclivity there. Um, his, his year at Utah state, I, I did think some of his reads were okay, but those are mostly like when he gets doubled and he has to like swing the pass. Like he's not going to post up in the NBA. You know what I mean? He's not like this dynamic lob catcher who has like a ton of vertical pop and defensively. I just, again, I don't think he has the physicality. I think a lot of guys, even like Jackson Hayes, I don't think has the physicality necessarily to like be a high level defensive player. So I've always just kind of thought that of him. And of course, you know, Taco Fall really punked him a couple times in that first game, just completely beasted him. And that's going to happen because Taco Fall is like out, outlier freaking physical characteristics. And I think Kata did play better in the second game, but I, I've just never seen it. This is another one of those developmental centers that I don't see the realizable upside being worth that much. Yeah. I mean, like, if he was to return and gain actual perimeter skill and figure out how to handle the ball a little bit and could guard on the perimeter at just a more functional level, I can absolutely see taking him in the first round in 2020. But you're going to have to waste a year of his rookie contract if you take him in the first round this year. And that's not what I want from a big. Like, you can just get bigs too easily on the market now. Like, I want guys who can, like Bruno Fernando. Yeah, he's not as good defensively as what Kata is, but I can just about tell you exactly how he fits in the NBA from an offensive perspective due to his passing ability, his ability in the short roll, his ability to potentially shoot it at like a semi-reasonable clip, and the length at least like provides some resistance at the basket, right? Like it's just a more easily yeah. translatable skill set from the jump. Kata, I just don't know that he has the offensive skill set yet, and I don't know that he has the strength, as you said, yet to be able to make a true impact without playing at the G League level for like a year and a half. Yeah, and I mean, Bruno, I wasn't interested in him last year. That's just a good tale of going back to school and improving, and I think right. that's what Kata has to do. Like, if he, if he improves in these ways, then yeah, I'll, de I'll definitely be interested. But right now, like, you have to look at it from like a risk reward standpoint. 
like what does he have to improve on specifically his skill game i think he has to get more physical get stronger you just don't want to invest right now this is not the point where i don't think that upside is high enough to be like okay we'll take you late first round or early second i think i would much rather him go back to school and try to hone these skills and i think bruno is a great example of a guy who really vaulted he improved as a passer um we always knew about the touch but i i did think the, the iq and like the rotations got better his second year so this is a, a path i think that Cato should follow yeah, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else? Quentin Grimes, do you have any strong Quentin Grimes thoughts? I'll group him with Sammy Shitsu just because they were arguably two of the most disappointing freshmen this college season. I thought both played okay in their first game, and then the second game it completely dropped off again, and you saw all the negatives that you saw. So I never really bought the first game, of course. I just I'm ha- I was happy for them that they played a little bit better. But uh, Grimes in the second game, we just saw all of the, the, the lack of speed. He's just not fast enough. Uh, the shooting inconsistency, some of the mental lapses. I thought his passing, I think his passing is kind of underrated, frankly. He made some really good things, especially too. in that first game. But it, it's just not good enough. Like it's at this, at this juncture, the sample that we have post Hoop Summit, it's just not good enough. And it's the same for Shitu, who I thought was a disaster on defense in the second game. Shows the athletic talent at times, but it, it's just not gonna. It's not gonna pass it unless he's like a knockdown shooter and he can really short roll. So I was. Th- those guys were again. The priors were significantly against them, and they had to really be dynamic in this setting. And I didn't think either were nearly to that threshold, especially in the second game. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, the last guy that we should talk about from the combine, at least, is uh, Taco Fall. Taco Fall was really good. <laughs> He was really good. I'll, I'll be real. I wrote off Taco Fall as an NBA player a while ago, <laughs> like a while ago, and I feel bad for doing it. I was wrong very clearly. Um, he's very real. He's legitimately, I think, an NBA prospect. That size is, it genuinely just warps basketball. Like the difference in size between him and Steven Adams is basically the difference in size between Steven Adams and James Harden. Like that's how (laughs) much bigger this dude is than everyone on the floor. And like his wingspan is eight two. he has like an eight inch wingspan difference on Boban or like a seven inch wingspan difference on Boban. Like he's just so big and so long and so unwieldy that guys don't know what to do with him. And it made him one of the most effective players, both at the G league elite camp, where honestly he might've been one of the three or four best players there as well as the NBA combine where I thought he was quite good. I'm kind of cracking up because like, I thought Taco fall sucked. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I thought he was bad. I was wrong on that. It's just kind of funny to me. Ben Rubin at at the step-in, he always is pushing for teams to try zone defenses. And if you're going to try his own defense, this is your guy. Like, this is the guy that you put in the middle, and he, you know, 2-9 defense. He comes in and out of the paint, and he just completely shuts it down. And that's this is the guy that, that would be an interesting test case for that. Like, I can't... I really just can't get behind him as like a legitimate NBA prospect. I, I just can't do it as far as playing in the playoffs, playing in space. I know he's long. And I know he's enormous. But it, even when we saw in, in the combine setting, like Jalen Noel gave him an absolutely dirty hesitation move and just blew right by him. Yeah. Like it's going to be the Boban thing where I mean, maybe not the same because he's longer than Boban. He's got better physical tools. I still can't invest that much, but I think that the NBA is probably going to view him as a rotation piece in the regular season, potentially. So it wouldn't surprise me if he gets drafted. He was really good. Again, he destroyed Kata in their matchup. He looked physically imposing about as much as you possibly can. 
I, I just can't get behind like the investment there. But I, I understand, I guess, the methodology for it. And it, if you're just looking for like a regular season player, but there'll be a player in that range that I'd rather take. So like, I will have him at probably like 85 on my board, or like 80 oh, okay. or something like that. Like, I, I don't think he is like some unbelievable prospect. Like, I have Jalen Noel at like 55. We should talk about. We talked a little bit about Jalen Noel, but Jalen Noel, yep. I think, was really good. We should talk about another point guard too. I think. Um, he, it's just so bizarre watching him on a basketball floor. Like you think you understand it by watching it on TV, but you don't like, it's just so impossible to understand (laughs) how much bigger he is than everyone else. Like Nemius Keita is seven foot with a seven, four and a half wingspan. He made Nemius Keita look like a child out there. It is. It's crazy to me that he is just this big and like this long and is basically impossible to deal with it's just he's just a fascinating prospect in so many ways like i would take him right now over charles bassey i would take him over simi shitu um i would take him over ethan happ uh like guys like that who are ostensibly considered like higher level prospects i think taco fall at least gets like looks in the last 10 picks of the draft i don't know if he'll get drafted but i think he'll at least get looks yeah, I'm with all that. I thought you were going to come down with the hammer and be like, this guy's 50 on my board or something, but 85 is chill. <laughs> no, like I have Daquan Jeffries at like 50 on my board right now. Like I would much rather have Daquan Jeffries. So would I. I, I really like him, actually. And we, we should talk about the G League camp real quick because I was there and actually got a chance to see it. Uh, it was not televised. I can actually give some intel on this. Terrence Davis, I thought, was the best player at the camp. Um, looking back, he was awesome. Jared Harper was really good. Um, Davis... Ended up with these comically ridiculous hand measurements. Uh, he was what? I want to say uh, like a 10.75 hand. I think it's like the biggest I've ever seen for a guard. Uh, I, seriously, it's insane how big this dude's hands are. Um, I'm trying to think who else who else measured well. Uh, Zylan Cheatham was interesting in the way that he measured. He has like a 7.1 wingspan, 8.8 standing reach. It's probably good enough for him to play the four at the next level um trying to think is there anyone else anyone else um javin delorier had a like i want to say maybe like a seven seven one seven two wingspan diakite had a seven four wingspan um trying like i'm just trying to like think of uh interesting potential guys for uh just like people that don't have measurements on these guys you know yeah, definitely. And I'm one of those people. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, the G League like put up some of the measurements, but hasn't put up all of them yet. Basically, I think that they have like a coding error on their website right now. Um, trying to think who else who else was there. Um, Terrence Mam is obviously there. We talked about man. Daquan Jeffries was really good while he was there. I will say um, one guy that stood out to me was Tyler Cook. Uh, I've not been a Tyler Cook fan, but his athleticism was just all over the place in that game or in that setting. He was really, really good. It doesn't surprise me. I think he's a good athlete. I just his decision making and like he can definitely dribble the ball. I, I think he's just kind of a fake kind of grab and go guy as far as like IQ and stuff. I've never been enamored with his feel. So that's uh, I, I know he's got some skill, but I he's never really popped for me in any game I've watched him. Yeah, the two guys that I thought really struggled were the two freshman point guards, uh, Jalen Pickett was just terrible. Uh, I feel bad. Like I've been a Jalen Pickett guy in the past. He was, he was not ready for that level yet. Um, he'll go back to Siena, I would imagine. And, uh, yeah. you know, hopefully try and improve a little bit athletically and, uh, 
get to the point where he's not just like a production guy. Uh, Andrew Nemhard. So Nemhard created a lot of potential assists where his teammates just didn't knock down shots, but he is like just not quite as athletic as he needs to be yet. If I was him, I would go back and go uh, to go to Florida and play with Scotty Lewis, play with Trey Mann, play with uh, Omar Payne, all the guys that are returning there and uh, just rack up numbers because he'll rack up numbers assists wise pretty easily with that talent around him. Yeah, 100%. And I think both of those guys, this is pretty surface level analysis, but I, I just think they're too slow right now. I think that I watched Jalen Pickett. I get the allure with him. Incredibly cerebral player for his age. He has the historically good assist to turnover ratio. I, I think there's a lot of stuff to work with but i think again he's just too slow like no team is going to trust him with the ball it's just not going to happen he's not going to be able to initiate in pick and roll he can't get separation we talked about this in the past and i think nemhard i I do like some of the iq like some of the passes he makes is pretty legitimate i just don't think he's dynamic enough i think when you start with the point guard position in the nba right now it's about that dynamism as a pull-up shooter and kind of creating ancillary effects off that as far as secondarily passing, getting to the rim. It all matters. Like you, at the highest levels of play, you have to be good at basically everything. But you have to, I think you have to prioritize certain skills that not only open up the floor for yourself, but for your teammates. Try to think. Who else? Who else? Who else? Um, oh, I, I want to talk about Nasir Little real quick. So I sure. wrote this in my, uh, in my big column on the combine that's out already but there was this weird narrative that like Nasir Little blamed Roy Williams and blamed the coaching staff for how his season went during his media session that's not what happened at all uh that that's under no circumstances what happened and people are taking it way out of context um he just was very honest and open about the fact that he felt very hesitant he's playing out of position like compared to what he had been used to playing. Uh, he's not saying that like the coaches were wrong for playing him in the position that he was playing in. Like it was more just like he hadn't done it before. Um, the ske- like I've written about this in the past, but like the scheme fit just wasn't seamless. Right. Like I've written about it multiple times. Um, he was just adjusting to something new. And at the end of the entire media session, he goes like, I still loved, uh, Like, I still absolutely loved being at North Carolina. And he says, like, um, developmentally, it was good for me to be there. And everyone, like, runs with the first part saying, like, oh, he's criticizing Roy Williams. It's not what happened. Like, it's it's ridiculous to me that that became a storyline. Yeah, and I guess just a part of that i obviously watched his interview i've always been a fan of him as a kid i think he's an awesome kid like i hope the best for him like he's one of my favorite players like people to come into the draft in a while like i could listen to guy talk all day charisma he kind of has it all there and i thought his interview he really killed it not that it matters a ton from my vantage point i'm watching on tv i don't have like the inside intel or whatnot but i thought he would kind of kill the draft process the pre-draft process as far as just the interviews and then physically when you get him in an open gym i think he's going to be he's going to pop for teams he's just insanely likable so wish the best for him i just can't get behind him that much as a prospect because of the lack of feel but i do think that there are some arguments that he wasn't optimally used at north carolina but uh it doesn't seem like it's in his character to really blame other people for that it seems like he would take that on himself like i thought he was kind of he did too yeah Yeah. it's crazy to me he absolutely did um he was like trying to say that yeah like he was trying to say like you know this this was on me like i just didn't i wasn't up to was wasn't wasn't ready for this basically yet is what he was saying he, and people he said in the interview context. 
Yeah, he said that like he never caught up mentally. I think he said that pretty much verbatim. He never caught up mentally with the team all season. He was just behind and he could never do it. So I think that was taking ownership of it. Yeah, it was it was very bizarre to me that that was the like narrative coming out of this. Um, is there anyone anyone else you want to talk about before we get out of here? We should talk about Brandon Clark real quick. Just the measurement. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. We should a prevalent topic. Um, I don't have the precise measurements in front of me, but eight eight wingspan. No, six, eight, uh, sorry, <laughs> six eight wingspan. Um, eight six yeah. standing reach. Correct. Correct on both. Yes. So that caused a ton of discussion the first day. I would say um, everybody was kind of shocked. We talked about this on the phone, but I was expecting more. We knew his arms weren't long. I was yeah. expecting more like six ten wingspan, eight 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 nine standing reach, and I mean he's in the very. He's in like the first percentile for his measurables um, for a power forward. Like his his weight was honestly the most shocking thing to me. Like what was he, 208, 209? Yeah, something in that range. So what are your thoughts on that initially? Um, was not super surprised by the wingspan. Thought it would be like in the 6'9 range. Um, I think it was what, 6'8? Exactly, 6'8 and a quarter, something like that. Um, the weight was a surprise. I thought he'd come in at like 225. To come in 17 pounds lighter than that is a little bit weird. Um, definitely a four. Like he's, I don't think you can play the NBA at 210 pounds at the five position. You're just going to get pushed around constantly. You can be as good with verticality as he is. You can be as, uh, just explosive as he is as a leaper. Guys are just going to bury you in terms of positional, in terms of just like positioning you in the way they want to position you. And I don't mean this in the post necessarily either. I mean it on the defensive glass. If you go back and look at some of his numbers uh, on the defensive glass this season, uh, let me pull up the text I was sending with someone. It was actually with friend of the program, Chris Stone. Um, so he had three defensive rebounds uh, against Tennessee, four defensive rebounds against Duke, uh, three against North Carolina, two against or uh, no, two defensive rebounds against North Carolina. Um, Florida State was the only game where he played against elite level athletes where he had nine, like where he had like a good day on the defensive glass. I just think he's going to get shoved around, and that's a problem. It's definitely a problem, and he's not a five. He's not. He was never a full time five. Like no NBA team is going to start him at the five. It's just not going to happen. Like he he would be. It would be when teams downsize, he'd be able to maybe swing there. And I still think that's possible for him, depending on how much strength he can add. For rebounds, for me, I think that's definitely a concern. Of course, especially if he's guarding, you know, trying to box out bigger players. But I care more about boxing out than I do about actually grabbing the rebound. Like, and he's pretty physical. Like he plays. That's my thing with the measurables. Is like you look at him. He plays bigger than his size. It just straight up. He plays more like a 6'11 guy than he does a 6'8 guy. As far as how he is physically on the floor, how, how he exerts himself, the toughness he shows. That's why I wasn't that concerned. And then you get to his testing in the second day, and he just blew everybody out of the water. I mean, he's a world-class yeah. athlete. 34-inch standing vertical is insane. Max vertical over 40. Lane agility time, 10.6. Like, these are all... I went back and got created a database with every single prospect at the Combine since 2000. And he's at the very top of the list on basically all of the, the power forward stuff. Like, except for, like, shuttle run and, you know, three-quarter sprint or whatever. But the, the important ones... I mean, he's just a dynamic athlete. And this is a guy who hasn't even put it together yet, technically. Like, he still has issues on the perimeter as far as his stance, all of that stuff. So I think he's going to improve there as well. So I, I just think we kind of knew what this guy was. He, had, he makes up for some of the lack of length with excellent anticipation, the ability to make quick decisions and, and read a game quickly. I'm still in, but I can understand that there aren't a lot of comparables for him. I think that's his biggest problem is you look at him and you look at guys in the NBA. It's like, who the fuck do you compare him to? So agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I'm so concerned by all of this. So terrified 
by Brandon Clark's measurement that I moved him all the way from number 10 to number 13. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I'm yeah. so, so incredibly concerned right now with it. The only guys that like I moved ahead were Seku because of the fact that he's like figuring things out rapidly in France right now. And then uh, Goja, who is just way better than I gave him credit for. Uh, he's really honest. good. Yeah, he's just awesome. Really um, like him. Uh, I would say last thing on Clark really quick for me. Um, it's going to come down to team fit. We talked about this with Grant Williams. A lot of these players are dependent players, and you hit the nail on the head. It's Minnesota at 11. If, if they actually go this route, which you know who knows if they do or not. But Carl Towns has already shown the ability to carry a high-level offense basically by himself. You, you insulate him with Brandon Clark at the four as like this Paul Millsap kind of backline defender. If he can be utilized that way and then switch in the playoffs, I think he can have a ton of value. If you, if you get him to a team where he's not going to be optimized, he's not going to be, you're not going to have the safety of another stretch big, then I get more concerned because maybe then he gets delegated to, you know, a backup five role situationally and he's not that valuable. So I think with him especially, there's a lot of variance in his outcomes because I think it's so fit dependent. Like there are certain situations where I think he can be really impactful and there are certain situations where I don't think he can be impactful. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, Cole, we got to get going, man. I got to go and <laughs> uh, head to the Apple store. Got to, got to handle some stuff today. So tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people uh, what's going on in your life. Just tell them everything they need to know. <laughs> I'll spare them the uh, individual recant of my life. Uh, it's been pretty crazy. By lately, the way, like but, we uh, didn't even talk about Thrones. Like, do, do we oh want to get into Thrones? We can. Look, we're not. We're not going to go crazy with this. I, I will just say it was bad. I'm just yeah. I'm just sad, dude. Like I liked. Actually, I kind of liked the first forty minutes of the final episode. I kind of liked where they took that yep. the Tyrion John conversation. I don't like them not giving John agency of going back to the North himself and him kind of being pressed into these decisions. Obviously, the, the entire last two seasons have been pressed by just how quickly they're moving through things. And they didn't give nearly enough time. Like, the last 40 minutes of that episode could have been, like, a season as far as how they yeah. sort out all of these things and, like, breaking the wheel and actually doing different shit. When in reality, it, it was just kind of like it ended up where we started. Like, Tyrion is kind of low-key in control. Bran is, like, the, the distant king who's not even involved in the decisions, kind of like Robert Baratheon when we started. It, it's just kind of wild. So we think that the take here is that like Bran took it because he knew Tyrion was the best person for the job, right? I don't know. You can read it into like Tyrion trying to exploit Bran too, being like, okay, I know this guy's not going to be that interested in it, so maybe I can run this thing. I don't know what Bran's vantage point is. We didn't learn nearly enough about him, and I'm not far enough in the books to really know book version. But like we didn't learn really anything about Bran or his powers or what his really true incentive was. Did he know all this was going to happen for sure? Like It's just tough. Yeah, that's like the wild part. Like, did Bran know all of this was going to happen? He allowed it all to happen. He basically orchestrated himself becoming king. Like, is that what happened? Which is wild stuff, by the way. Like, that just kind of goes against, like, what we thought his character was. Like, this is a guy who didn't even really have a human identity, like, two seasons ago. And now he's the king? I, I don't know. I, I just think, again, they tried to reverse engineer what they wanted the ending to be. If Bran hadn't been involved in this, then you would have looked at his character and be like, what was your purpose, really? I mean, what were you doing even during the Battle of Winterfell? Like, he didn't really do anything. He he's kinda, reverse engineering like, shit, man. He was just out here. Trying to handle it and get to be king <laughs> is bad. Yeah, so I was not a fan. I'm, I was not a fan. I'm sad. I'm yeah. just sad. I, I think they could have executed the last two seasons so much better. They had the source material. If they had the time, and we already talked about the Danny stuff in season and episode five. It, it's just it's 
it was brutal. But I did like that ending as far as John killing Danny. I thought that up to that point, I understood a lot of the episode as far as how they went about it, and then it just went off the rails a little bit. Yeah, it did. Uh, Cole, <laughs> I don't know. Let's uh, just go to the Stepian. Uh, go subscribe to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever you go for good podcasting content. Um, we'll be back later this week. I'll probably talk about the NBA playoffs at some point, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.